with the message tonight, but just to kind of get your attention a little bit here, we are talking about biblical worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, we see um, a real example here of worship, and the title of my message tonight is Biblical Worship Equals Sacrifice. It is sacrifice. And it shall, this is Deuteronomy 26 verse 1, and it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and uh, dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruits of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt put it in a basket, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there, and thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in, the, in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a, a nation, great, mighty, and and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our, our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set, set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God has given unto thee, and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray as we uh, glean from this passage what you would have for us, that we would be attentive to it and be ready to apply these truths and uh, let you do the work in our lives that you desire to do. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we talked about worship All is, is all that we are and uh, uh, reacting to all that God is. And tonight we're going to continue that um, theme dealing with worship. And in essence, worship is a gift we give to God who saved us from our wretched and uh, lost condition. Worship is this distinct method of approaching God. This is what we're, we're referring to. Prayer is the obsession of the soul with its, his needs. We, we go to the Lord because we are a needy people, and we are. And we know that God is the only one that can meet those needs. It, it is uh, what... He commands, by the way, and he invites us to do. So uh, we're doing that praise. That is the obsession of the soul with its blessings. And he commands us uh, to do it, and it honors him, to praise him, we're to do that. And then worship is the uh, obsession of the soul with God himself. And that's what worship is. It's all about him, all about God. And uh, the focus is not on oneself, but it's all God. And we adore him. We show our love for him. We worship him. And uh, worship says, Lord, thank you for who you are and uh, what you've done. But our knowledge of him uh, really sh 
should cause us to bow before him and humble ourselves before him with a heart of thanksgiving. So as, as we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian, we become more like Christ, become more what he wants us to be. We read in his word and we, and we become students of the Bible. We commune with him in prayer and all of these things. Uh, we, you know, he becomes known to us. We, we become closer to him. And we, we begin to know him in a deeper way uh, when we have that kind of relationship with him. And uh, he becomes, therefore, more precious to us because we, we know him. If, and I've used this illustration before, but if you are, when you were younger, some of you here tonight, some of you are still young, but you received a love letter for that person you love. That, you could not wait to open that letter, to read that letter. I know some of you may not know what letters are, some of you younger ones. But, um, but no, I'm, I'm joking. But, but uh, you, you uh, were anxiously awaiting to read it. It meant a lot to you. Why did that letter mean so much? You might have got a letter from the President of the United States that didn't mean as much as this letter because this person you knew, this person you loved, and every word. Uh, you, you, it meant something to you. That's what happens when we fall in love with Jesus Christ. When we have that close communion with him, when we read the Bible more, not just read it, but study it, and, and we uh, commune with him in prayer, uh, we are faithful to the house of God, we serve him, all of a sudden he becomes more precious to us. Therefore, we want to read the Bible more because we love him. This the, the one who gave us this book, it's not just a distant person we don't know anything about. It's God, our personal Lord and Savior. And so we become like the Shulamite woman in the Song of Solomon when we declare that he is the chiefest among 10,000, and indeed he is. And we proclaim that he is altogether lovely, Sol Song of Solomon 5, verses 10 and 16. So I, I think there's a lot of songs that we sing that really echo those sentiments, those thoughts of our love and adoration to God. Not more than the song here we sing, His name is wonderful. We all know that old song, His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty king, master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages, almighty God is he. Bow down, love, and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. I read a story of a young woman who was uh, living in London, and there was a fire in this apartment building she lived in. And she was at the, on the top floor of this apartment building. And the, the building was engulfed in flames. There was no way out of her apartment except through the window. And as she leaned out the window and screamed for help, uh, it appeared that there was no help coming, uh, that it was just too dangerous. But suddenly, a ladder came from nowhere and came up to her uh, window, and a young fireman risked his own life to carry her down to uh, safety. And she, in the, all the excitement and things that went on, she realized she forgot to thank the one who saved her. And so she found out who this young fireman was, found out where he lived, and she went to his home, and she, she just said, I want to thank you for saving my life. I would not be here if it were not for your 
uh, willingness to risk your own life to save my life. And so, uh, a long story short, they became friends, the friendship developed, they fell in love with one another, another and they were married. And uh, so now, uh, after time, you know, he was no more uh, uh, just her savior, just a, a man that risked his life to save her. No, he was now her husband. He was now her lover. He was now her companion through all the good days and, yes, all the bad days of life. That's really the picture of biblical worship right there. The Lord Jesus laid down his life to save our souls. We should never get over that. But our relationship involves more, much more than that. He is our Savior, yes, but he's also our friend, the Bible tells us. He's our bridegroom. He's our companion. Uh, he's our, every day that we live, he's our companion. He's with us. The one who supplies all of our needs. He's our counselor, our guide, our guardian. And, and again, so much more. And we learn all this from the word of God. God has given us the gift of salvation. God has given us the, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, as we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Worship is then our gift, is our gift back to him for all that he has done for us. There is no way possible that we could ever repay him for what he's done. Aren't you glad that we don't have to repay him? Aren't you glad that he paid for it all on the cross of Calvary? There's not a thing that we have to do uh, to uh, gain salvation but call upon him by faith. And so, uh, again, uh, with all of that in mind, uh, I, I want us to consider what a, uh, this, this passage here before us that we read in Deuteronomy 26 and uh, what it has to say about biblical worship. And this text is a call to the nation of Israel to worship. And that's what is, is happening here in chapter 26. And uh, here in this chapter, God is instituting the feast of the first fruits. And so when they're settled in the land, when they begin to reap the harvest and, and uh, the land begins to give back to them, they are to take the first portions of their uh, produce and bring it to the Lord as an offering, a, a gift, a thanksgiving offering, and, a, and as a worship, uh, uh, a uh, act of worship. So in these verses here, God tells his people how they should approach him. And there, there are some great lessons here for us in the time that we have here tonight. We hope to get to all of them. But one of the lessons that come out of these verses is that biblical worship definitely involves sacrifice. A little bit about that last week because David himself didn't want to uh, give anything that didn't cost him. He wanted his worship, his sacrifice to the Lord to, uh, to cost him something, and it should. But the worship here, worshipers here, uh, we see that their, their appreciation is noted. Uh, as Israel is called to worship, they're reminded the thoughts that should occupy the heart of any true worshiper of God. What are those thoughts that they should have? Biblical worship is far more than just uh, gathering together, singing some songs, saying some prayers, and then having a message from the Bible and going home. Biblical worship has its foundation in a heart that is filled with love and appreciation uh, for Almighty God and what He has done for us. And so the children of Israel are told here to approach Him with appreciation. 
with thanksgiving for the wonderful things that he has done for them. Uh, kind of a, an opportunity for them to count their blessings of all that God has done. And so here we'll look at, see how they approached him. Uh, and in and, and their approach to him, he is to, uh, the worshiper is to appreciate God for his, number one, his redemption. Verses three, or excuse me, verses five through eight, uh, I'm not going to reread that right now, but we see this thing, his, his uh, appreciation for God's redemption. The Israelite is to come before God to offer thanksgiving of how God has worked in their lives uh, throughout the years prior to this time. And so the worshiper is to be thankful for how he's brought his people from nothing and given them everything. And the worshiper is to be thankful for how God moved in power to deliver his people from bondage there in Egypt. And the worshiper is to remember that he has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You remember the, the uh, uh, Passover as last night there in Egypt. They were to put the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost and the side post, and that death angel would pass by them. But if that blood wasn't there, then their firstborn would die. And so they were to remember that they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, very symbolic of Jesus Christ shedding his blood, and that's exactly what it is. But this, this same blessing has been given to you and I, his redeemed children. And we are born into this, uh, uh, into the slavery of sin. All of us are born sinners. We are not, um, we are not born a child of God. I know there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. People think that that if I, uh, uh, the moment I'm born, I am a child of God. But that's not absolutely not true at all. In fact, uh, we find in the Bible that our father, it, before we're saved, our father was Satan, our, the one that led us, that directed us, though we did, may not have known that. Even Jesus said, ye are of your father, the devil, to these uh, Pharisees, these religious leaders. And so he said, you're... Uh, he's the father of lies, so you're just like him. And uh, because before we're saved, we're not a child of God. We have that sin nature in us, and then we do not have that new nature dwelling within us. And so we, we were born into slavery. Ephesians, in fact, we talked about this, this chapter here. I know, I believe Brother Morris, you read some verses out of this. Ephesians 2, look over there with me in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2. And... We see the slavery we were in before we were saved. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Of course, that's Satan that's talking about, the prince of the power of the air, the devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. We all lived in, in this way. Uh, uh, separated from God and uh, in disobedience, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so there it is. That's what we were born into, that we were a slave to sin. And in John 8, 44, you mentioned that, where Jesus uh, talks about how they are of their father, the devil. But Jesus came into this world. He shed his own blood for our sins, and to set us, to redeem us, to set us free. And so we have much to praise the Lord about, as did 
the nation of Israel here in Deuteronomy 26. And uh, he uh, intervened um, in our lost condition, and he called us unto himself. And praise the Lord. Uh, he delivered us from the old life. He uh, brought us out from that the life of Adam and brought us into a new life in Jesus Christ. He, he did it all with a, a mighty display of divine sovereign power. And so when we approach him in worship, when we come to him, we should always come to him mindful of all that he has done for us. And he has done so much for us. If you're saved here tonight, he, God, has saved your soul. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. He, out of his grace and mercy, uh, what does it say in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing you and I could have ever done. You talked about being trapped. We were talking about that this morning. We were in that trap of the devils. There was, it was impossible for us to be set free. It was impossible for us to get to heaven. All of our religion and all of our works and all of our uh, uh, things that we would do, none of it would do any good to get to heaven until we called upon the name of the Lord. And then we uh, received that eternal life. So it's all what he has done, not what we have done. And so we, we uh, come with him with a heart of appreciation for that. When you come to the house of God, have that kind of attitude. Oh, Lord, you have done everything. You have, brought me from, you have brought me from death and placed me in life. From death into life, you have given me everything. And then his restoration there in verse 1, we see it shall be when, the, um, when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee for an inheritance and possesseth it, and dwellest therein. So that for the Israelite worshipers, um, they had, they're reminded here that God brought them out of Egypt. God did it all. He settled, um, brought them into this promised land where they were able to settle and able to uh, see all the, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. Everything that God had promised it was, it was even beyond what they imagined it would be. And God was true to his word, brought them to this place, could have happened a lot sooner, right? Uh, they didn't have to stay out wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They could have went right in. But because of disobedience, because of a lack of faith, they spent 40 extra years out there. And then they complained about God taking care of them. Isn't that something? Uh, but then we, so God restored them. To the, so when we come to worship him, we ought to have that attitude of knowing, uh, being thankful for his redemption, for his restoration and so the worshiper is to look back and see what God has brought me out of. In the case of the Israelites, it's out of the bondage of, of Egypt. But in our case, it's out of the bondage. And Egypt in the Bible is a, a type of sin. It's brought us out of the bondage of sin. We are no longer uh, uh, under their, that reign, that rule of Satan. He is not our taskmaster. We have been set free. That doesn't mean we're not going to sin. That doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means we now have the ability, the power, with God's help, to be victorious over sin. It has no authority over it. So we look back, and, uh, and, and he's also to look around now at what God has done for them. 
And look, in our case, think about what God has done for us in the past. But right now, sometimes we find ourselves grumbling, complaining. Look, you know, you look at what's happening in our world, it's easy to get into that mode of grumbling. And there's a lot to, to uh, complain about, it really is. Uh, or a lot to say, you know, this isn't right. But let's not forget to take some time to remember what God has done for us and what he's doing for us right now. If I asked you to take out a pen and paper tonight and write some thoughts of how God has blessed you this past week, I hope it wouldn't be a challenge. You remember when the teacher would ask you to take out a paper and pen and write a couple paragraphs about a certain subject? And boy, that blank paper seemed like it was a horrible thing to stare at. And, uh, but for us, well, that should be just come, poof, just we wouldn't have enough paper, enough time to uh, write all that God is doing for us right now. Now, if that's not the case, that doesn't mean you're not saved, but maybe you haven't been paying attention. Maybe you have found yourself in that mode of grumbling and complaining, and you got your eyes off the Lord. Uh, count your blessings. But he would remember how God brought them out of a place of desolation into a place of blessing, and he would be appreciative, be thankful for all that the Lord had done for them. Uh, brought them across the Red Sea, uh, led his people by a pillar of fire at night, a cloud in the day, and provided in that wilderness experience that manna from heaven to feed them every day. And in fact, he also defeated all their enemies. So the Lord had given Israel a heritage, and they were to be thankful for it. And the same should be true for all of us tonight. We need to remember, again, like I said earlier, that God brought us from death unto life. That there was a time, you, you remember, if you're saved tonight, how could you forget that time when you realized you were lost? When you realized, if my heart stops beating, if my life ends right now, I'm going to be in hell, and I deserve it because I'm guilty. But you also realized at that same moment, that Jesus paid it all. That all you had to do was call on him to save your soul. And praise the Lord, um, God has done so much for us, and we ought to be definitely thankful for He delivered us from a, a place of separation and isolation, and he has brought us into a, a place of, uh, uh, of closeness, of intimacy with him, and uh, that fellowship that we can have. And then, uh, for his rewards, in, in verses 2 and, and 9, the Israelites' worshipers, they were to remember that God had blessed them beyond belief, and he had. And he was uh, to remember that he had been given him the land. He had given them that land that floweth with milk and honey, and a place of peace, a place of prosperity, a place of blessing. Again, same thing is true for you and I tonight. Not only did God save our souls, but he has blessed you and I beyond belief. And, and in fact, Ephesians 1, 3, it says this. It tells us that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And just consider for a moment. I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but let's remind each other here tonight some of the things that we are given in Christ Jesus. Everlasting life. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life. John 3, 16, we can go on and on, but no time to read all those scriptures, but adop we are adopted into his family. Our name is written in the book of life. 
Our name is there in the book of life, according to Luke 10, 20. And we're adopted uh, in, into his family, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, the children of God. And then his presence, uh, his provision, his love, his forgiveness, his advocacy, his indwelling presence, his, his promise uh, of a home in glory. Oh, my goodness, we have so much that's been given to us. And we ought to be able to praise him and come to him with a heart of thanksgiving. So the more we learn about who we are and what we have been given in Jesus Christ, then the more we ought to desire to worship him. So we should ever meditate on his grace, on his mercy, his love, his redemption, his blessings that are uh, beyond uh, what we can ever dream of. Then secondly, the worshiper's approach, how they are to approach God. And while here this passage tells us about the great themes that should uh, thrill the soul of every believer, it also has something to say about the attitude that should grip the, the hearts of everyone that comes to worship God. And as we approach God, what should be our attitude? We must come, number one, with gratitude. I know we've already, it's kind of a reoccurring theme here, being thankful to God. But in verses 2 through 4, we see the Israelites were commanded to approach God and, and with the best from the land. Not their, not their leftovers, but with the best. Don't you, uh, that's almost comical, but sad in, in one way. So many times people are looking for all these tax loopholes, and they say, well, I can give something away, and I can write it off on my taxes. So they give, I'm going to give it to God. They give their old piece of junk that can't even drive it, can't even get out of the driveway. Or they, you know, I remember at, at Highland Park, that large church in Chattanooga, uh, people were giving things all the time. It, we had, uh, we had a, what, where we had all the buses. We had a fenced-in area, and that place was full of buses. It was full of campers. And it was all junk. I mean, it wasn't worth a dime. It may have been worth something to someone, but it was just junk. Uh, and so just in, even infested with some critters in some cases. But uh, they got a tax right. They probably said, yeah, I gave them a brand new camp. Man, that thing was in just perfect shape. But um, we ought not be that way. If, we're gonna, if God leads us to give something, let's not give our leftovers. And that's what he's taught these people here uh, to come with gratitude. Give God our best right off the top. And uh, whether it be talking about our tithe or our time or our talents, how all of those things fit in this, this uh, thought about gratitude. We come to worship in a state of spiritual poverty with nothing that we have to offer him. Here he talks about these baskets that they were to fill up. You see, it's, it's a matter of a gift we come to God, or bring to God. And that's worship, giving back what he has blessed us with. And, and if, uh, in, in spiritual sense, we need to fill our baskets with thanksgiving, with words of praise. And we come to him with those filled baskets and, and what all God has done in our lives, and we develop that heart of gratitude. John 4, 23 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God's looking for people who will fill their baskets uh, with gratitude for his blessings, who will come before his presence with a heart full of praise and worship. And that's what uh, is all working together for that 
uh, perfect time of worship. In Exodus 23, 15, God warned Israel, none shall appear before me empty. Not em they don't, are not to come before God empty-handed. When we come into the presence of God, whether it is as an individual, individually, or corporately as a church, we should come ready to worship. We need to be like that little girl who was playing outside and, and suddenly she comes bursting in the kitchen and sits down and her mom's ironing. That's one of the most boring jobs in life, I think. It's a pretty rare thing anymore. But anyway, she's ironing and, and her little girl sits down and just watches her. And her mother says, honey, why are you in here? Why aren't you out playing outside? She said, oh, I just want to come in and, and, and show my love for you. I want to be here with you. And so that, that's a wonderful thing. But that's the spirit of worship uh, because that little girl loved her mother, just wanted to be in her presence. And that's what worship is. Then we must come with obedience. Let me take it back to verse 2 there. That thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land and the Lord thy God, um, that the Lord our, uh, thy God has given thee, and shalt put it in a basket, and shalt go unto a place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And so the Israelites were told exactly how to come. They were told exactly what to bring. They were actually even told where to go. So only those who followed God's plan were truly worshiping God. And so a man might have said, I, I would rather worship closer to home than with that place that God has showed us. That's so far away. Or I would rather bring the, the things I desire to give to God. I, they mean a lot to me, and I want to give these things to God. Kind of like Cain's attitude that he came to the Lord, bringing what he wanted. And, and so, but that's not, uh, it, it will not be accepted. It would not have been accepted then. So worship always flows out of a heart of obedience. We're obedient to what God has told us to do. If we're going to give him worship, as the Bible tells us to, we are first to learn to obey his commands. What did Jesus say? If ye love me, keep my what? My commandments. That's exactly right. If ye love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. And so since worship is love for God in action, worship can be said to be obedience in action. And then we must come with humility. Again, verses 5 through 9 of or Deuteronomy 26, um, to, uh, they were come, become before the Lord to recall their humble beginnings. Uh, he was to remember how, what it was when the Lord found him, where he was, who he was. And he, he was nothing, as he says here, but a Syrian ready to perish. That was my father, that was us. A Syrian ready to perish until God intervened, until God saved him. Uh, he was to put on no airs. Uh, there's nothing special about us or them at this time. And he was to remember that everything he was, everything he had, and everything he ever hoped to be was all the pure and perfect gift of God to them. So the same attitude must fill our hearts tonight as we come to worship him. We need to remember that God hates pride wherever it is found. Jesus uh, told about the... Uh, the damnation of that lost Pharisee who came to worship with pride in his heart in Luke 18. Oh, how proud he was of his own prayers, the words coming out of his mouth. But God wasn't proud of it. It didn't mean anything, and he was lost. So while God hates pride, he respects 
and he responds to humility. Many scriptures to that. Let me read a couple here. Isaiah 57, 15. For this, uh, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of uh, contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And in James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So we like the ancient Israelites, we need to remember that, remember that we were at one point, we were hell bound. And we were sinners before God. And the Lord found us. We didn't find him. He was never lost. He found us. And we are sinful. We, are, we were at that time sinful. We were vile. We were defiled. We were dirty spiritually. But he loved us. He saved us from all of that. Saved us from our ourselves, our wretched condition. And uh, so everything we have, everything we are, everything that we will ever achieve is a result of his amazing grace, uh, his life-changing grace. Well, then let me get to the last point here, the worshiper's adoration. When they, people that would come to worship God, when they would come before him, he was to uh, set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. He did not come before the Lord here with a petition on his lips, a request, but with a present in his hand. When that worshiper came before the Lord with his gift uh, uh, from his field, uh, uh, what, what, how God had blessed him, that's what he was doing, giving back what God had already given him. So in essence, it didn't cost him anything. This was what, how God had blessed him. He was given off the top of it. He didn't have anything before. And so you can honestly say that it, he, uh, uh, this, this, uh, this offering didn't cost him anything. It was already God's. Everything he gave had its origin with God. And so the fact that he gave it was a symbol that, God, I love you. God, I'd be nothing without you. I would have nothing without you. And uh, he's just acknowledging everything that he had done in his life. David expressed this very thought. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I, David says, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. So he's saying, you've given us everything, God. And so what we are giving back to you is what you have given us already. You have blessed us abundantly. And oh, how true that is. You, you can never outgive God. And they were merely giving back to God the things that he had already given to them. And our worship today is the same way. We simply take what he has given us and, and offer it back as first fruits, whether it be our, again, uh, this can be applied to our finances, our um, uh, time, and our, our talents, our abilities, whatever they may be. And uh, uh, we do that out of love and worship and adoration to God. That's worship. So while worship does involve sacrifice, in the end, it costs us nothing, really. We like to think, oh, how much I'm giving, but if the truth be known, if we understand what has happened here, we're just giving back what he's blessed us with. And so it was always uh, his in the first place. But we do so of obedience. We do so because of a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of love and appreciation. So as we worship him, 
for who he is, as we worship him for where he brought us out of, that miry clay, that, that uh, 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 place of his wrath, lost and undone and without hope, he brought us out of that, saved our soul, and he has uh, uh, blessed us abundantly uh, with, with all the things that we have, with all the material blessings, the spiritual blessings that we have because of our relationship with him. We need to remember that the things he has given us cost him everything. Your salvation didn't cost you a dime, but it cost him the lot, his life. Jesus gave his life for you. It didn't cost us, but it sure cost him. What was the price of his love? What was the cost of his grace? What was the value of your souls and mine? And it's summed up here in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. I know you've done this before, but it does well to put your name there. For God so loved Randy that he gave his only begotten son that if Randy believeth in him, he should not perish but have everlasting life. I'll never forget that day, 1974 in my case, when I called upon the Lord, when I realized that he did love me personally, that he died for me. It was my sins that put him on the cross. And when I called upon him, I received that everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, or he proved his love. Not that he had to, but he did so. And how did he prove his love? Here it says, but God commended his love toward us. He proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of God, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for us. It cost God the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary to give us the things that we have. I know how sad it is. People take things for granted as a Christian. We have the Bible. Too many Christians don't read it, don't study it. We have a place to come and worship together corporately as the Lord has told us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But so many don't take advantage of that. So many don't take advantage and, and, and understand all the blessings that God has given them. They sure would if they lost it. And I'm so thankful that, that there's one thing we can never lose, and that's our salvation. But it costs God everything. The fact alone should stand, uh, the, you know, that knowing that Jesus Christ, he gave his life for our, our, our sins, should cause us to fall to our knees in worship. So do you have anything in your worship basket tonight? Do you have a, a heart filled with thanksgiving and praise to him? Has the Lord done anything for you at all? I know that's a ridiculous question, isn't it? But sometimes we don't take the time to remember what all he's done for us. If he has, then why don't you take the best of those things and come before him and give them back to him in an act of worship? How long has it been since you humbled yourself before God? How long has it been since you come before him with a grateful heart when you thank him in pure worship? If he hasn't done anything for you, maybe you need to come and get saved and uh, ask him to save you tonight. And then you will have a reason to worship him. Let's bow our heads tonight.